Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if I follow the thread there, without the preached word, we cannot please God because we cannot build faith. The thing that makes the church different than any other organization is what they deliver. The product of the church is a sure word that cometh not from earth, not from man, but from God. When man received the Spirit of God when he was born again, it was a gift that did not originate in a lab. It wasn't science that developed it. It was God that breathed it into the world, into the hearts of those that had faith that came through the word. That's why the Bible tells me, gather yourselves all the more together as the day approaches. And the reason for that is you need to preach the word. Because without the word, there's no faith. And without faith, there's no pleasure in God in his people. So tonight, I, I want to do a little of that. Um, and I, I usually don't mention titles when I start, but this one I, I want to tonight. It's called The Battle for Your Soul, A More Sure Word. The battle tonight is not, not COVID-19. That's not our battle. It's not your bank account. It's not your job. It's not your family. It's not whether things are going good in your life or bad. The battle tonight in your life is for truth. You know, I, and I'll, this is the only statement I'll make towards this tonight, but I was thinking about it. This whole battle about COVID-19 and the vaccine, a lot of the problems they have is because no one trusts the government because they don't find truth. But I want to tell you tonight that you can trust God because he is the way, he is the life, and what is he? He's the truth. So if it's in my word and God has spoken it to me, I can build my life on it and not be concerned whether it's a lie. One of the things that happens in, in the world and in the church, sad to say, is sometimes people take something that's pure and they dilute it with a lie. Well, let me ask you something. I, I, I love food, and I, I was talking to Sister Laura about chili again. I, I don't know what it is with chili. I hate tomatoes, but it's the one thing with tomatoes in it that I could eat forever. I want you to imagine on a cold winter night like Sunday when it's snowing and you wonder where fall went, a great big pot of chili on the stove and homemade bread, bread in the oven. I hope you had supper before you came. And then as the chili's just about done, somebody drops a frog into the chili. Well, the chili's great. It was the perfect recipe. Would you eat it? It was a dirty frog, by the way. You wouldn't. 
Because just one small ingredient taints the whole pot. Remember the prophets? They said there's death in the pot. Well, anytime we get up and we start to add things to the truth, we put death in the pot. And it's important for us as preachers and saints of God that we preach the unadulterated truth of God because not only is it able to save those that hear it, but it's also able to save us. And if there was one great need that the church has in this generation over and above any others, even above miracles, truth. I'm reading from Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 12. And Paul's writing this book to the Hebrews. Of course, these are people with a, a strong foundation in the word of God. He says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And as a, notice this, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The pure word, the word of God, is not able to deliver light from darkness, but it gives you the ability to discern your own heart. I'm reading from 2 Peter, the first chapter, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Notice what uh, Peter says, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning death star rises in your hearts. Notice Peter gives them a word of admonition. It'll do you well to heed it. What I'm saying tonight, it will do well for you to heed the word. Then John in 1 John, the fourth chapter, in verse one says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God is one of the things that you'll be able to discern. Is Jesus one in three? Or is Jesus uh, a demigod? Is Jesus a, an angel? No, Jesus is God in flesh. And he says you need to learn how to test the spirits that talk to you. I, I have this happen to me all the time. I'll be... It happens a lot when I'm laying in bed because it seems like I'm trying to shut my mind off and I'll get a thought and I'll say, where in the world did that thought come from? That is a terrible thought. And I said, I didn't even know I was capable to think a thought like that. And then I realized that sometimes as the Spirit of God visits me, there are other spirits that try to influence me. I have to discern which is of God and which is of the world. 
And tonight, what we need to do in all of our lives is to learn to recognize that spirit. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles. You were carried away to these dumb idols. However you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. It's not not a a discerner of a people. It is given to each one for the profit of everyone else. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through that same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another, and I look at this one, and this is one I cherish, and I ask God to make sure that each one of us has, the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but the one and the same spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So I think I've laid a little bit of a foundation before what I want to share with you next. I'm going to give you three examples of in the Old Testament, two in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, where people really need to be discerning. Life and death is in that ability to know the difference between what is of God and what is of the world. And each one of us, every single day from the time we get out of our bed and we start our day to the time we go to bed at night, have to be able to discern what's from God and what's from the wicked one. Here's our first one, 1 Kings 12. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the king might revert to the house, now the kingdom might revert to the house of David if these people go up to sacrifices, offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Their hearts will return to their Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah then, uh, king of Judah, then they will kill me and return Rehoboam, king of Judah. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. And he said to the people going up to Jerusalem, it's too much for you. It's too much. Hear, O Israel, are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, let me give you the time period from this. Israel has had a very prosperous time under King Solomon. 
They have become a, a nation that was rich and blessed and without war. Solomon seemed to cave underneath all of the uh, blessings of God and gifts of God and drifted somewhat away. Jeroboam has been given the same promise that Solomon had. God spoke to Solomon and he said, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom that I might govern this people. Did you know that God spoke to Jeroboam through the prophet and gave him a promise of blessing just like he did Solomon if he would obey and a curse if he would not? I don't think Jeroboam made it a week before he did these things. One calf he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin. The people walked as far as Dan to worship before one of the calves. Suddenly, as Jeroboam was standing beside the altar to burn incense, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, O altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David, and upon you he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense upon you, and human bones will be burned upon you. That day by the man of God gave a sign saying, The Lord has spoken this sign. Surely the altar will be split apart and the ashes upon it will be poured out. Now when King Jeroboam, who was at the altar in Bethel, heard the word that the man of God had cried out against it, he stretched out his hand and said, Seize him! But the hand that he stretched out toward him withered so that he could not pull it back. And the altar was split apart and the ashes poured out according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king responded to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself. I'll give you a reward. But the man of God replied, if you were to give me half of your possessions, I still would not go with you, nor would I eat or drink water in this place. For this is what I was commanded by the word of the Lord. You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way that you came. So the man of God went another way and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Oh, it would have been so good if we could stop this chapter now. The prophet had been given a commission by God. He was given a, a specific assignment. He was bold. He obeyed, even though his life was in jeopardy because well, the man he was going to speak to and the altar he was going to speak against would certainly bring the wrath of a nation that had turned its back on God upon himself. He was a brave soldier. He was a committed prophet. But we have to read the rest now. 
Now a certain old prophet was living in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the deeds that the man of God had done this, that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words of the man that he had spoken to the king. Now, I want to use my imagination tonight and I want to think about a little about this old prophet. Let's play around with it a little bit tonight. He's living in Bethel. He's not living down near Jerusalem where the true altar of God is. He's living next to a false altar with people that are worshiping gods that are not the gods, a God of Israel. That tells you a little bit about him. Which way did he go? Their father asked. And his son showed him the way uh, taken by the man of God who had come from Judah. So the prophet said to his sons, Settle the donkey for me. Then they settled the donkey for him and he mounted it and went after the man of God. This is where the prophet makes his first mistake. Now, this isn't a terrible mistake. Some people might preach really bad about this, but I'm not. Because Elijah made the same mistake after Mount Carmel. After all of this, after the trip, after the prophecy, after the miracles and the judgment of the altar, he was exhausted. Now, Brother Cordell and Brother Kylie will help me. Uh, they'll, they'll probably agree with me when I say this. The worst time to talk to a preacher about something important is after Sunday service. Because the glass has hopefully been pretty well poured out, He, they're exhausted. Hopefully they're exhausted. They poured out their soul to the people, the sons of God that were in the congregation. Why is this man any different? He's tired. He finds an oak tree and he sits down and he says, oh, just for a moment. Let me tell you tonight, as we refer to ourselves in this story, we're not home yet. We haven't left Bethel. The idols aren't far enough away from us yet. I know we get tired, but we got to finish the trip. Because when you sit under the tree and you start to lean back, it gives the world a chance to catch up to you in a weakened state. Those that sleep, sleep in the night. And the night always is a reference of evil, of darkness, of wickedness. We are the children of the day. We should work while it is yet day. For the night cometh when no man shall work. We're not home yet. We're still in the light. And as long as the light is here, we have to work. The man says, hey, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to the man of God, Come home with me and eat some bread. But the man replied, I cannot return with you or eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread, must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. 
Now look what happens. I want you to pay attention. How does he beguile this prophet? Then the prophet replied, hey, guess what? You want, let me introduce myself. I am a, I'm too, I'm a prophet just like you. Camaraderie. That was the first trick. I'm just like you. No, you're not like me. Because if you were like me, you wouldn't be living in Bethel. And guess what he said? And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. Have you ever heard of that happening in our generations? Someone that's had a new revelation that's different than the one that we were given by the Apostle Paul and the 12 disciples? Absolutely. Joseph Smith. The angel Moroni gave tablets. Hey, I've, I know what you were given, but this is a new revelation. No, the word of God does not change. It's the same yesterday, and it'll be the same today, and it's not going to change tomorrow. So don't worry about that. Come back to my house. An angel spoke to me. But let me tell you something. Unless God speaks to me, I'm not going to listen to you. One of the things that makes a good marriage is me and my wife have agreed that when it comes to a big decision, that unless we both feel the same way spiritually, that it's the will of God, we will not do it. Because let the word of God be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. This man had a witness, but he was the only witness. The old prophet was lying to him. Okay, I read this every year. And in my bread right now, I just read it last week. And every year I ask the same question about the scripture. Why would he lie to him? He knew he was lying. He knew it wasn't the truth. Okay, and I I thought about it. This year I got a little bit more. It's like we pray sometimes for a new car and God gives us a tire at a time. But we eventually get the whole car. Hopefully that first tire is not flat by the time we get it all together. Why was he lying? The old prophet might have felt that he had lost the fire of his ministry. He'd lost the respect of the people that did love God. And he wanted the association of something that was true in his home to once again bring back that which was lost. It wasn't the same without God there as it was when he was an active prophet. Well, the man made a terrible mistake, a mistake that cost him his life. The old prophet was lying to him, and he he went back and ate bread in his house and drank water. And you know what? At first, it tasted pretty good. Oh, he was thirsty. And the bread was warm. And then while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back And the prophet cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. 
So the one that lied to him was the one that brought the pronouncement of judgment upon him. Isn't that unique? And the prophet cried out to the man of God who had come from from Judah. This is what the Lord says. Because you have defiled the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment that the Lord your God gave you, but you went back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he had told you not to do so. Your body shall never reach the tomb of your fathers, which was very important to the Jewish mind. Now, who is, what spirit is the accuser of the brethren? Which is, what spirit would draw us away from the light, bring us into darkness with lies, and then condemn us? That's Satan. He'll say, you know, I'm just like you. I got the spirit just like you. And God told me to tell you that you can do what God told you not to do and get away with it. And then when you do it, he'll be the one to point the finger at you and say, you're not much of a man of God, are you? To disobey his word. And after the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the old prophet who had brought him back settled the donkey for him. He was actually putting the noose around the prophet's neck. Because when he left that place on the back of the donkey, look what happens. And as he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was left lying in the world with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. Not only will the devil lure you away and lie to you, and then he'll accuse you, and then he'll put the neck around, noose around your neck and send you on your, your way to judgment. That's why it is so important to be able to discern the truth. And there were men passing by who saw the body lying in the road with the lion standing beside it. And they went and reported this in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard this, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the command of the Lord. What kind of a conscience does this guy have? When I look at the world, what kind of a conscience does evil have? Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion and it is mauled and killed him according to the word that the Lord has spoken to him. He was the one that deceived the man of God. He was the one, basically, who was responsible for his death. And now he becomes the accuser. Then the old prophet instructed the son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it and he went and found the body lying in the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had not eaten the body or mauled the donkey. So the old prophet lifted up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb And they lamented over him, O my brother, when you give heed to a seducing spirit and a lie, a lying spirit, you will end up in the same tomb as the evil. You will die with the wicked. So that was my first example, and I'm watching the clock here. The second is 1 Kings 22. We have another instance here. 
this one. Then three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. However, in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel, who said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours, but we have failed to take it from the hand of king, the king of Ramon? I have to stop here. Why did Jehoshaphat do that? Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He followed the Lord. Why would he go to Israel, which is not following the Lord, and try to make a union with it? Sometimes maybe we, we make the initially make the bad decision. We take counsel of the world to get what we want. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He said, hey, we, this belongs to us. It's not, it was taken from us. Would you come in league with me? And can we take it back? So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat answered the king of Israel, I am like you. My people are your people and my horses are your horses. My Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. So I, I find that this is a mistake already starting to develop. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the first for the word of the Lord. So the king of Israel assembled the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I refrain? Now technically these were prophets, but they weren't really prophets of the Lord and they weren't really prophets of Baal. They were prophets who... We're in it for profit? I don't know. But they weren't really on fire for God. These were sort of like backslidden prophets. They cried out, Go, they replied, and the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, Now this is where Jehoshaphat has discernment. This is a good thing. When you're living for God at home, you'll be able to see something that doesn't look right or smell just right. 400, remember. 400 all in agreement, all shouting, all hysterically involved in this prophecy. But Jehoshaphat asks, is there still a prophet of the Lord here who, whom we can require? Is there another prophet besides these? It's sort of like, I don't feel right about this. Have you ever had that happen in your life? You're entering into a deal with somebody and you really have, you don't know whether you should do it or not and you're hesitant and then the deal comes and you say, you know what, it sounds like a good deal, but, and all the figures come out real nice. I just don't feel good about this. Could you bring in another prophet? Something smells here. The king of Israel answered, there is still one man who can ask the Lord, but I hate him. Why wasn't he there? Because he hated him. Why did he hate him? Because he it says right here, because he never prophesies anything good for me, but only bad. He is Micaiah, the son of Amiah. Now, it's interesting to look at Micaiah. He was one of those uh, disciples of Elijah, one of four. So he had a good teacher. But I don't want him with the other 400 because he stands out like a sore thumb because he speaks things that I don't like. But you know what the Bible says in the last day, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Bring the 400 in. 
Who are you going to believe, 400? Or are you going to believe that one crazy prophet? I'll tell you what, I just, I, I'm going to believe the word of the Lord. I don't care how many you have or how many you don't have. I want to believe what God says. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of the officials and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Amai, at once. Dressed in royal attire, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on the thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Can you see it in your mind? Let your imagination roam right now. Can you see the commotion? All these 400 prophets, they're on fire. They look like they're godly prophets. They're involved. Now Zedekiah, son of Chanah, had made for himself iron horns and declared, this is what the Lord says. With these you shall gore the Armenians until they are finished off. And all the prophets were prophesying, saying the same thing. Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord. Notice that Lord in your Bible is capitalized. And the God will deliver it into the hand of the king. 400 of them. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah instructed him, Behold now, with one accord, the words of the prophets are favorable to the king. So please, 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 please let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. Have you ever heard that? How can all these people be wrong? How can you say that you're right and all these people are on fire and believe this together? That's what he's saying. Just say what they say. Don't rock the boat. Don't cause a stir. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I will speak whatever the Lord tells me. I like Micaiah because he's a little bit like me. I got corrected today for something I thought was funny, a little joke, and it wasn't a bad joke. It was just, I thought it was funny. But then when I looked at it from the other point of view, I thought, oh, maybe it wasn't so funny the person I told it. Um, and again, it wasn't sinful in any ways. It's not bad. It was just not really something funny, I guess. But Micaiah has that same spirit in him, like I'm a tease. If you don't know me, I will tease you if I love you. I'll treat you nice if I don't. No, I'm just teasing. You got it. When Micaiah arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we refrain? And he goes this way. Go on Woo! and triumph. Micaiah replied, and the king says, will you stop it? For the Lord will give it into your hand of the king. But the king said unto him, how many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of the Lord? All right. I'll tell you the truth. So Micaiah declared, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one return home in peace, to his home in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, 
Did I tell you that he never prophesies good for me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Now I want you to picture this picture. This is what Micaiah is seeing in a vision. And all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will I entice Ahab to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one suggested this and another that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. Now this wasn't a godly spirit. This was an evil spirit. And by what means, asked the Lord. And he replied, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets. You will surely entice him and prevail, said the Lord, go and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord had pronounced disaster against you. But let me stop there. God hates lies. So if you think that God sent an angel down from heaven to lie, that you're, you're way off, according to the word of God. Satan gets into heaven. God sent an evil spirit or allowed an evil spirit to go to Ahab and Jehoshaphat just like he allowed Satan to touch Job's possessions. Okay? Then Zedekiah, son of Chinnah, went up and struck Micaiah in the face and demanded, which way did the spirit of the Lord go when he departed from me? Speak to you. So he goes, tells them the truth, and says, this is what's happening. You know, all these guys out here, they really look like they believe it. And you know what? They did believe it. Because there was a spirit that told them this. There was a spirit, but it wasn't the spirit. So some people can be devoutly entwined with what they preach and teach. Devoutly. And be persuaded beyond a shadow of a doubt because they feel a spirit in it. But it is a lying spirit. And they're so involved that they hate you and they slap Micaiah across the face. They truly believed. And many of the people we deal with truly believe what they believe. And then my last point tonight, the spirit of divination for prosperity. That's another spirit. TV things that where they go out and uh, they pretend to do some things that they're not doing so that they can gain wealth. And I know that's hard for us to say, but there are people that do that. Acts 16, and I'm going to try to close up in just a minute or two. One day as he, we were approaching to the place of prayer, Acts 16, and I think that's 16, Acts 16, 16, we were met by a slave girl with a spirit of divination who earned a large income for her masters by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. Now notice what she's shouting. These men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. What's wrong with that? Is that not true? That's the truth. But what spirit is she using to present the truth? a spirit of divination, 
a spirit that does not come from God. She continued this for many days. Everywhere they went, these are the, the children of God giving you the, the truth. Listen to them over and over. And most people say, well, they, they must be for Paul. And I think, was it Silas with him? Um, because they're, that the Spirit's trying to encourage them to listen to what they're saying. No, 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 no. It's actually drawing attention to itself. Think about it now. Meditate on this a little bit. When God's Spirit works, it doesn't bring attention to the person. It brings attention to the author of the thought. This girl was drawing the attention of those that Paul was trying to minister away from God and onto her. And it happened every day. And Oh, man. I, I look at, after all these years, now, you know that before I came here, I, I pastored, I don't know, 20 years before I came here. I remember some people that I had to deal with when I was pastoring in other churches that were like this girl. They would make the loudest noise, but they would do it for the wrong reason, and they would quench the Spirit of God. But how could I come against them if they were saying the wrong thing or the right thing? It's a hard thing to deal with. Finally, Paul said, enough is enough. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her, and the Spirit left her at that very moment. So what are you saying, Brother Kylie? The Spirit can appear in our congregation. And it can say all the right things. But it can detract from the message that's trying to be delivered. Well, we know that it was a, a profit for these other people because when the girls' owners saw that their hope of making money was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. They brought them to the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into turmoil by promoting customs that are unlawful for us. Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten with rods. You know, as, people, as long as people can make a profit, they'll go along with something that the congregation is doing, even though it's not of the right spirit. But when they lose the ability to make a profit or to gain something that they would benefit from personally, they become extremely agitated and violent. The truth delivered in the spirit of self-glorification is only annoying and distracts from the movement of the truth and the power of righteousness and godliness. And then I'm going to close with this verse. Beloved, Jude 1 and 3. Jude's writing this, and it's near the end of our Bible. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you 
of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Jude mentions that expression, earnestly contend. If you were to translate that from the Greek, it would literally be translated, earnestly agonize for the faith. That term is associated with strife and combat of a vigorous and determined quality. That present tense of the verb is indicating that this earnestly contending is to be ongoing and continues throughout our entire life. And so I close today. If there is ever a time in the history of this earth or mankind when the church must earnestly contend for our faith, it is now. Because the race, as the prophet found out at the end of his life, even though he had fulfilled his commission, he'd went to Bethel, and he was almost, almost to the finish line at home. He'd almost went back into the area of the altar. He stopped on the way and relaxed, and all that was in vain because he slept with sinners. I look at myself and I say, it's 48 years, 49 years now, Liz, something like that. 49 years. And how terrible it would be after 49 years of serving God if I found a tree to sit under and a, a, a soothsaying spirit convinced me to turn away from the truth. Doesn't matter whether it's a year or 50. Let's stand together. Thanks for being so patient with me tonight. I, I really felt that the Lord wanted me to hear this, and I hope that you've been able to benefit from it as well. Would you join me in prayer? And then I'm going to open up the altar. Lord, you arrange things in our life. And hopefully, Lord, as we, we study your word and we read and we pray, you point out things to us in the true word of God. They'll help us and prevent us from going astray or being deceived. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.